If you want to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 4, it's going to come up on the screen if you'd prefer that. And we're going to read um, from Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor that has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Lord, we thank you that you yourself were tempted, Jesus, when you were on this earth. Help us learn now some truths that you experienced here, ways that we can use your word and our knowledge and your Holy Spirit to keep us strong in you and to lose the things that would block our walk with you, that would cause us to trip up or stumble. Be with Andy as he brings this word to us now and help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. Good morning, and uh, for those of you that are new, I'm Andy, and for those of you that think I'm new, I'm Andy. Um, I have been away for a while, but it is fantastic to be back, and I felt very welcomed by everyone in a whole variety of ways and different personalities and and all of that. It's been fantastic, uh, and I've really appreciated that. And we we had a really, really good summer, uh, and, uh, well, I have anyway, and... um, (coughs) I've seen some really beautiful things, seen some really powerful things um, as I've caught up with some old friends and heard their stories, uh, been on holiday and time with the kids and Ruth and, and the rest of it. And uh, I've heard testimony to, to people's lives really of the beauty uh, and power of different things, committed friendship that Judy was referring to and, and just how much of a difference that has made in people's lives that, uh, that I've seen. Um, I've seen uh, some committed leaders get, go through some really difficult times, uh, real spiritual onslaughts in their lives uh, and come through. And uh, I've seen the power of genuine welcome, simple welcome making such a difference uh, in people's lives. So we want to welcome you guys um, that are new this morning. Some of you travelled all around the world to be here uh, for this year as well with the Performing Arts School. And we've seen the power of prayer and changing some horrendous situations uh, in other people's situations in churches. Um, and we've seen some stunningly amazing places in this world that God has made. You know, lakes, mountains, glaciers, waterfalls, and, and the power of nature as well. And there was one day, we, there was a lightning storm uh, where we were, and uh, as a result of that, there was a huge mudslide that completely cut us off. We had to leave the hire car 
200 miles away from the airport. We just dropped the keys back and said, you can't, <laughs> a long way away. So we got out, but the car didn't. So um, anyway, it's been a, it's an amazing time and it, I'm back at work now. So it's, it's Monday means is very much a reality. And uh, we're looking at this whole series of what does Monday mean for us? And Tim launched this really important series last week by looking at uh, work as worship and, and how our work, whatever we do during the week, whether it's employed, unemployed, uh, retired, care in the community, or in our families, whatever, our, whatever we do, that it is a holy thing. It is done for the glory of God, that actually it's something that has been given to us. And uh, it's a high calling, we heard, um, in how we help other people flourish in life. Whatever you do is, is helping someone else flourish, either directly or indirectly, um, through your work. But as, as, as he looked at Genesis chapters one to three, today there's a verse in Genesis chapter four where God said these words to Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And uh, there's this force at work in our, in our lives, this kind of gravitational pull, if you like, that strongly wants to pull us away from God's best and actually wants to pull us away from life's best for our lives. And it is called, it's this word is called sin. And so we're looking at Monday also means the taste of temptation for all the great things and opportunities we have uh, through our working week. And uh, it's, a, it's a knock, it's a knock at the door with that alluring voice that comes through the keyhole that, you know, and our mind boggles what might be on the other side, that tempts us to want to open that door, but actually it then pulls us through into uh, all the, you know, the, the, the consequences uh, of sin that come with that. Perhaps it might be guilt, uh, it might be shame, various addiction things that come into our lives that ultimately will damage us uh, and will damage those around us um, as well. And uh, we've seen that this week. We've seen Volkswagen fall from grace uh, because of the, the temptation to, you know, they've put software that gets around all the emission testers um, so they can up their MPGs and they can up the profits but doing it in illegal ways. And uh, the temptation is around every single corner uh, of, of our, our Mondays to Fridays, our Mondays to Saturdays, every part of our lives and at every level of life. Temptation itself isn't sin. Um, but it's the thing that pulls us into the clutches of sin very easily if we don't resist it, which is God's alternative door, that there's another door that we can walk out of that he always provides uh, in our lives. And so he came to show us how to live. God says, I want to show you how to live and overcome uh, this power, this force uh, in our lives through Jesus. And so God became a man. He became Jesus and came and li lived amongst us and, and in, a, in our shoes and walked in this world uh, that we all walk in. And it says that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are. And so this morning we want to look at what can we learn from these, these ways that Jesus was tempted and what do they teach us um, about that. And he was probably aged about 30 at that time and, uh, um, and overcame them. He, he, he was tempted in every way yet was without sin, uh, we're told. And the first temptation targets his identity um, and his hunger. Um, it says this, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity, He's just heard his father in Luke chapter three say, you are my son and I am well pleased with you. And the devil comes to tempt that and to bring that voice of doubt as to who he is. He says, tell this stone to become bread. That's his hunger, he's been, he's been fasting for 40 days, he is hungry. 
And uh, that first temptation really speaks into our lives about the vulnerabilities that we have around the whole need for approval in our life and comfort uh, in our lives. Because there are very legitimate needs in our lives and the temptation is to fulfill those through illegitimate means or through unnecessary means perhaps. Because we have lots of hungers, we have lots of desires uh, in our lives. We have, a, we, have a, you know, we have a need for food, simply, for shelter, for love, for, for companionship, for intimacy, all sorts of things. But they are designed to be uh, met in God's way. But that little knock comes to the door and, uh, and says, ah, there's some other ways in which we can do it. Here's some quick fix ways that you can meet these. And so we're tempted to steal and to cheat and to lie. Um, we're, you know, we're so hungry for, for approval, we fish for compliments. You know, we, we comfort ourselves in excessive ways, whether it be food or drink or, or anything else that takes us into addictive habits. We pursue sexual experiences outside of marriage uh, or before marriage. We, we manipulate relationships. Um, and all of these are driven by these temptations that circulate, uh, circulate around our need for approval, for comfort, for pleasure, and all of that. In the workplace, on our front line, wherever that, that might happen to be, um, we need to know that our approval fundamentally comes from God. That he is the one who deeply loves us. That he is the one actually that we work for. He is the one that, you know, we are his dearly loved children that we are loved, we are chosen, we are kept, and uh, we are called by him. And what you do is a holy thing. And ultimately, it's, it's for him. And we know that he, he loves us, and therefore, that's where we fundamentally get our approval from, not from just those around us and the, the work uh, that we do. Another temptation uh, to fulfill the legitimate needs, um, that I think is worth uh, a mention. It's a difficult subject, but it's the whole thing of sexual temptation. Uh, when we're looking for intimacy in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And uh, we're all aware how powerful that is because it is fueled by a trillion dollar industry of sexualized advertising, of pornography, as well as that heady mix of hormones and pheromones that, that God has given us in our, in, our, in our makeup as well. And so it's a powerful, powerful temptation that each one of us faces. Um, and it leads to affairs, physical affairs, to emotional affairs. Um, as I say, to sexual experiences outside of marriage, um, dabbling with pornography or, or coming entrenched in it in some way. And so it's an issue usually that we want to hide and we, we feel awkward about and we want to we want to keep secret in our lives when we struggle with it. And the book of Proverbs is full of, of warnings about it and advice about it. Particularly chapter seven is, is a great chapter with some great warnings in there. And it tells us that we're to be aware of a few things. It says that we should be aware of seductive words. And uh, that, that's the thing, the words knock at the door and start coming through, uh, you know, the letterbox and the, the keyhole. And you can hear those words coming. They might be words spoken by other people or, or written or texted to us or emailed to us or come through some social app um, uh, to us. Seductive looks we're to be aware of, you know, how people dress, the pictures that people post, um, the links that people send. Um, and uh, just draw our eye uh, into things. And the secret rendezvous. You know, those times when we, we meet up with someone we know we shouldn't meet up with because we know it could lead to something. Um, whether it's just for a coffee, whether it's the secret text again, whether it's clicking on that internet site, 
when nobody's looking. And uh, we have that secret rendezvous and, uh, in that. So be aware of those things. And uh, as I say, you know, pornography is a really tricky issue to talk about. We feel really awkward about it. But it's worth talking about for a few minutes because it is at such epidemic levels in our society. Um, it is, as I say, a huge industry driving it. But it is wrecking lives. It is wrecking marriages. Um, it is sidelining Christian ministry leaders uh, up and down the world. It is distorting the way that young people view relationships. Um, there's a great ministry, a church ministry called triplexchurch.com and uh, they do a whole lot of stuff in trying to help people um, that are caught up in this. And they highlight three, three ways in which we, we, you know, we find ourselves, three levels, if you like, that affect us. The first is that we're, nearly all of us are targeted. Okay? It's a rare person that is not targeted in some way. There's not an email that comes through with some kind of porn link on it at some point uh, in your life, some point in your working week, uh, where that might be. Um, and then there's those where we're tempted and actually we start to dabble and we click on a few links here and there and uh, we've begun to dabble uh, a bit in that and we kind of kind of hold in it but, but you know we have, we've been tempted there um, or these we're in the trenches they describe where people are just found themselves caught up in this. It's just consuming their lives. Um, they, they need the next fix. There's that addiction stage that's seemingly unstoppable in their lives. But the warning here is it is highly, highly addictive. It is very, very easy to go from stage one to two to three, okay? It is very quick to go from that. And therefore, whatever stage we find ourselves at, we should be finding someone in our lives that we trust, that we can talk about it with, that we can, can, you know, we can start to discuss this thing and start to help us uh, to deal with it. Because a lot of people just don't deal with it until they're in the trenches and things are going really badly wrong. And uh, wherever you are, let me encourage you to find someone to talk to, someone you trust that you can talk to. And the reason is that the longer it goes on, people end up losing jobs over this. They end up with a breakdown of relationships over this, losing their spouse over this, and uh, all sorts of other things. And it's, uh, it's an addiction that's invisible. Most people don't see it. It's not like you know alcohol or something, which is a little bit more obvious, although people even try to hide that. But as with an affair with a real person, an affair with porn can cause people to develop that art of secrecy. And therefore people need to help to wake them up from their deception. So find someone to talk to about it. I can recommend a book uh, by Neil Anderson, Winning the Battle Within, which is very helpful if you're helping other people or perhaps even for yourself as well. But I wanna move on from that. We wanna look at the, the second of these temptations that we read about in Jesus' uh, life. And, uh, the devil leads him up to a high place and he shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And you can imagine in his day, you know, all the, the whole of the Roman kingdom, you know, with Caesar and all of that and all the power of his time and uh, that he could have. And he says, I will give you all of their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone. So if you worship me, it will be yours. And so this temptation plays into our desire for uh, fast-tracked power uh, and wealth. You can have all of this now. Okay, no pain, no battle, the apparently easy way you can have. And we live in a culture that is very, very vulnerable to the instant. You know, everything is, is about having it now. Um, get the rewards now, uh, worry about the means later. 
You know, and so we keep need to look at our credit cards and think, well, what is the unpaid balance on our credit card? What is the unpaid balance on our bank overdraft? Are we, are we buying things that we don't actually have the money for in all of that? The uh, material wealth and the desire for material treasures. The gospel that we have, the good news that we have of Jesus speaks radically to redefine our perspective of what riches really are, what wealth really is. And Paul writes about money in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And he writes this, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here's Jesus, fully God, fully man with infinite wealth. And if he holds on to his infinite wealth, then we die in our spiritual poverty and all our failings. And so he has this choice. He stays rich, we die poor. Or if he dies poor, then we become rich. But riches is about having our sins forgiven. It's about having these spiritual forces and drivers in our lives broken and freedom and entering into the family of God. And so Jesus gave up all of his treasure to make you his treasure, to make me his treasure. And as Peter says, for you are a treasured people. And so when you see him dying on the cross to make you his treasure, that is when we begin, like Alan before was talking about, we then begin to make him the treasure of our lives. And suddenly, as Tim Keller says, money will cease to be the currency of your significance and your security. You will want to bless others with what you have. To the degree that you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. So that's wealth, but also power. And in this passage, this character, the devil, claims to have both ownership and the power to give political power material wealth and splendor. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't question that. And this world will offer you huge incentives to compromise. And uh, we've seen it, we've seen it in the business world. Um, you know, Volkswagen, for example. We've seen it in the banking world uh, with the, all the, the LIBOR stuff. We've seen it in the sporting world and the, you know, FIFA, for example, and individuals in the sporting world. Incentives that are almost impossible to resist, especially if you've put, made love, the love of money and the love of power has found this ready place uh, in your heart. And the temptation to compromise um, is always there. And even in the workplace, but we've got characters like Daniel in the Bible. Daniel's a great character because he's a guy who, who rose to great place of influence and power and yet had complete integrity because he made some decisions early on in his life about not compromising his faith and eventually God raises him and he becomes the prime minister of Babylon and Persia um, because he set standards uh, right at the beginning. I was chatting to a, a student recently, a one young student, who's looking to apply for jobs, he's at that stage of life, and uh, a Christian guide said to him, oh, we need more Christians in our organization, I'll see what I can swing for you. And his reaction, you know, bless him, was, no, I don't, I don't want that, okay? If I get a job, I want to have it on merit, and because, you know, I should be there, not because somebody's swung something for me. And uh, 
You know, that is great. There's a, there's a set of integrity there. There's a decision based there. And uh, our integrity, our compromising, begins not only in the job, it starts at the interview. It starts with what we put on our CV. It actually starts with a decision even before all of that. You know, I will not compromise uh, the temptations, the pressures, just so that I get on and further my career. I mean, here's a, here's a, a woman called Claire, and she was um, a secretary in a, a big, large company. Uh, and she went on one of these time management training workshops that you do. And uh, the trainer there responded to one of the questions that was asked and said, well, I, what you could just do in that situation is just lie and just say your boss is out of the office. Okay? And her retort was very simple and very direct. She said, well, no, I couldn't because I don't lie. And she reflected afterwards and she thought, that must have sounded a little bit pious and a little bit kind of goody two-shoes-ish. But on the other hand, why let a highly pained trainer put lying across as professional wisdom when it isn't? You know, she worked hard for the head of a division. Lots of people looked to her in her job as to how things were done around here. And if she didn't challenge that but condoned lying, then basically saying it's okay across this whole division to lie and to deceive. And, you know, we've seen where it's getting Volkswagen. Okay, it's a stand we can take on our front lines, not compromising because of the temptation for wealth or power to get further up the ladder, uh, whatever it might be. <coughs> power is important. Jesus was powerful in much of what he did, but the power given to Jesus came from his father and it didn't come the easy way, it came the hard way. It came through his death, through his burial, through the resurrection, and at the right time, his father exalted him to the right place, the highest place. The third temptation that we read about here, the devil leads him up to the highest point of the temple, says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for God will command his angels, you know, and he'll, they'll catch you. Jump, and God will catch you. You know, kind of celestial bungee jumping. Sounds fun, but... Uh, it would be a big crowd puller. A lot of people would want to come and see this. Let's see you do it again, Jesus. Instant superhero status. But it would also have given him manipulative control over his father. And he wouldn't go there. Okay? He would only do what he saw his father doing. And he stuck with that. The temptation here targets our desire for control and for popularity. The pride of life, as John puts it. The boasting of what we have and what we can do. Yet God's way is to humble ourselves before him. And he will lift you up, writes James. Okay, the temptation to control and to manipulate. The temptation to boost our popularity over others. And again, Tim Keller writes about all of these forces that are at work in our hearts and uh, unpacks them as kind of idols, as counterfeit gods, alternatives to God, if you like. And he speaks of deep idols and surface idols. The deep idols that are, are right in here, um, beneath them, um, the sort of the more concrete and visible surface idols, such as things like money and uh, our spouse or our families or whatever. And those, those deep idols kind of influence how we operate with all the other things. So some people, you know, and the, all of us will be somewhere in here, were strongly motivated by a desire for influence and power. Other people are more excited about approval and appreciation. 
someone emotional and physical comfort more than anything else, while others want security to control the environment that they find themselves in. And you will have a tendency and I will have a tendency to different ones of those. But people with a deep idol of power, that's the big temptation that is knocking on your door. They don't mind being unpopular to gain influence. Whereas somebody who's motivated by approval are just the opposite. They're quite happy to lose power and control as long as everyone thinks well of them. And so there's a deeper thing often at work in our lives. Power, approval, comfort, control. Each one of them generates a different set of fears and a different set of hopes. So again, as I said, so take a surface idol such as money, um, he argues. Money will have different behavior patterns depending what's, what's underlying you as a person. So for example, it, somebody might want lots of money as a way to control their world and their life. And so they don't spend a lot. Okay? They save everything, they live modestly, they invest everything so that they can feel completely secure in their world. Someone else, they want money because they want to access social circles. They want to make themselves beautiful and attractive and so they do spend a lot of money on themselves and in lavish ways. There are still others who want money because it gives them power over others. And so in every case, money functions as an idol but it looks very different and different behavior patterns because of these deeper things, these deeper temptations that are often driving uh, our lives. And so we need to deal uh, with each of these things at the heart level. At the heart level, a heart encounter with the gospel, a heart encounter with God, and uh, the grace of God and the love of God coming powerfully through. And so instead of approval and comfort, we need to look and find that met in God. He's the one. That will, that will fulfill those needs in our lives. Instead of power and wealth, we respond with humility and they understand that Jesus is actually our treasure and we put him on the throne of our hearts. Instead of control, we put our faith and trust in the one who has our lives in his hands. I wanna finish with a, a short video clip from Lord of the Rings and uh, I apologize it's a little bit dark, but um, just listen, listen to it, it's quite powerful. And it's, it's where Gollum is having this argument with his alter ego, Smeagol. Let's pray together. <laughs> Leave now, never come back. What's the temptation that's, that's knocking on your door? We're a whole mix of all sorts of these things in our hearts. Some of them shouting louder than others but actually we can be free of them. We can overcome them. There's another door, There's a da we don't open that door. We close that door as we've just seen through faith. And there's another door, Jesus knocks at the other door and says, welcome me in and I will change your life. And just like Alan, responded with his, without even half knowing what he was doing, his left hand, that's what he did. He, he opened that door and Jesus come and transformed his life. And experienced the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the blessing of God. And uh, in a few minutes we're gonna celebrate communion, we're gonna take some bread and wine. Just remember what Jesus did when he dies on a cross 
to make you his treasure. And I encourage you to, in your hearts this morning, to respond and uh, just begin to explore that possibility. And if you have aware of these swirling forces at work in your heart, I strongly encourage you to find someone after you've taken communion or even if you don't take communion, to find someone just to, to ask to pray for you, to break the power of those things in your life. Someone around you, someone you've come with or one of the prayer team that will be with us as well. Amen.